Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. At Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care centers, get a $25 prepaid Visa card when you get any Napa automotive battery. It's the best deal for some of the best batteries from some of the best car people around. But we might be a little partial. Anywho, pick up any Napa automotive battery and save 25 bucks. Do it yourself or have it done for you. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores and Napa Auto Care Centers. While supplies last, offer ends 831.20. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. It's an exciting episode because, as much fun as I had with Mark Riley last week, Haley Fouch is back from Austin, back from Fantastic Fest, and. I wish you guys could see this. You can see it in a short clip that's going to be on the the Collider YouTube channel at some point soon. But Haley is freaking rocking October one attire right now, and <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I uh, I have a bag full of seasonal clothing that got brought out and has been already abused since the day it turned to the official start of fall. Okay, I like I brought a little to Fantastic Fest with me. <laughs> I I only get to wear this bag of clothing for like 35 days of the year. So I just really have to, you know, abuse it, really abuse it. That. I, I respect the planning that goes into this <laughs> and that you have a bag. I, I don't know like... if it's planning so much as I've spent way too much unplanned money on it. Okay, and no, that now I'm like, you have to wear it every day. Unplanned money doesn't mean it's not money well spent, though. True. I cannot say no to a Halloween dress is I... my problem. <laughs> I can understand that. All right. So what we've got on the lineup for you guys today is quite a bit, actually. We're going to kick it off with Haley's Fantastic Fest recap. So we're going to hear about all the movies she saw. Then we're actually going to review one of them on the show for you that's hitting Netflix this Friday. And I happen to have seen that one as well. So we're going to do a review of In the Tall Grass, the latest Stephen King adaptation. And then we're going to wind this episode down with a spoiler-filled American Horror Story. Story 1984 discussion. So if you're not caught up on the first two episodes of the show, don't worry. We're going to save that for the end so you can just, I don't know, tune out, come back later after you watch the two episodes. So, Haley, the floor is yours. Oh, fantastic fest. It is truly my favorite eight days of the year. This was probably my favorite one yet. This is my fourth year. And it just was like... um, 
I think if, if anybody was paying attention on Twitter or, or any of the socials, like it just had a really special energy this year. I think a lot of people, it was our favorite year. It just seemed to be the exact right combination of people this year, minus one, which is obviously you. That would have been the perfect combination. I was getting like sadder and sadder as you described <laughs> it, but then you made me feel a little better yeah, with that no, comment. Of so course, right. of course. Um, I do think we might kill you if you ever come. You know, I am genuinely worried about that because <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have the best self-control, and I, I feel like peer oh. pressure is a problem for me. Okay. Yes and no. Like, okay. I know that's not 100% true. You do have pretty good self-control. Really? Okay. Yes. Better than most people I know. All right. But, I, I appreciate that compliment. But given the people you'd be surrounded by, that's where the peer pressure it's problem like comes in. All yeah. yeah, it's all your, it's all your trigger people for bad behavior. <laughs> it really is. Uh, God forbid Erlinger goes next year. Then I'm not coming I home. I missed him. That's where I met him for the first time. I forgot about Dude, that. We sent when, you a little selfie of Rift us meeting. Was, when Rift was there, yeah. right? Yeah. Huh. Oh, I miss Erlinger. All right, fine. We were down two perfect okay, people. Okay, there you go. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's a really... This is really special festival. I hate to keep repeating the word special, but it just, um, I tweeted a little bit about it. I never feel more at home with myself than when I'm at home with my Fantastic Fest crew. I just don't feel like I have to put on any airs. Everyone is just being who they are, and it's a beautiful thing, and, and who they are, who I am, are a bunch of fucking freaky weirdos, and it's a, be- it's a beautiful, wonderful thing to be around. I, I did not get a tattoo this year, sad what to say. What were they? Um, well, there wasn't anything I was I, I felt the need for, which is why I didn't win the lottery, so I didn't want to wait in line. But we had there was a, a Freddy glove that was kind of cool. It's just if I'm going to get a Freddy glove, I want something a little more detailed. Uh, there was a TV remote, which is what I would have gotten if I won the lottery. Okay. Um, there was there's a, a luchador mask because the theme this year was Mexican cinema. Yes. Uh, there just wasn't anything that, that I needed on my body forever. Did they not post a picture of these anywhere? I really it should be on the them. official website. Are they? The, I, yeah. I really want to see it. I'm curious to know if I would have, you know, taken the plunge and got one. Maybe. I don't. Some years, you know, like. Oh, I, had, I see. I think I see them. I had to have my oh. Godzilla. Huh. So, you know, like the um, jack is cute. The knife is cute. That's, this almost looks like a roll of toilet paper holding a knife. <laughs> okay, so that <laughs> so one comes, I might not have gotten that. That one, one comes <laughs> with an explainer. That's the middle portion of Chingu, which is yeah. a, a figure at Fantastic okay, Fest. Okay. Last year they offered the upper portion, and I assume next year we'll have the lower portion. Uh, mm. But you're right; it does look like a, a, <laughs> a knife bit, wielding toilet paper with tentacles. Why? Why the jacks? That I don't know. That must tie into a film I didn't see. All um, right. They usually tie into the movies. Like uh, this year w- had Scream Queen, which was a documentary about the second uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film. And that's why it has the glove. Uh, I believe the remote is from Butt Boy. Um, oh. As I kind of wanted to see Butt Boy. I, ha- I never did catch it, unfortunately. Not yet. All right. All right. I- admittedly, these are cool. I would admire them on somebody else, but I don't know if I personally feel yeah. strongly enough about one to have one on me for the rest of my life. But this year didn't matter. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Um, yes. So films, the, the true. Well, actually, before we get to the movies, I will say a little something about the event this year, which I thought was also really here. It comes again. Special. Yeah. <laughs> um, this year was... No F words. Today, only S words. Yes. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> uh, they So, yes, Mexican cinema was one of the focuses, but also queer horror was a major focus. They had, uh, as I said, Scream, My Queen, the documentary. 
which I did not get to see, and I'm very sad about it. I'm going to try to get a screening link as soon as I can. But that that movie I heard was really, really good, and it's it's sort of an examination of, you know, the famously homoerotic subtext in that film, and more importantly, what happened to Mark Patton's career as the lead of that film, who who kind of got pinned with the blame for it not taking off, despite the fact that it's an insane sequel. <laughs> like, just if you haven't seen it, it's a straight-up insane sequel. Uh, but because that was a centerpiece and because Mark Patton was there, the the queer horror cinema became a through line of the event that was really, um, I thought, well celebrated. They had specific podcasts represented there. They had uh, probably my favorite event of the whole year this time was a a drag horror show. Oh, I saw pictures. Oh my god, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Like the drag performances were amazing. The the crowd was really invested and it, it just like that was one of those moments where you're standing there drunk, admittedly, going, This only happens here. This is very special. This is a moment I would never get to have at any other festival. And uh Stop making sad faces. You'll be there. Just like, We're going to get you there next year. I keep thinking about it, too, and I'm so afraid I'm just going to wind up in that same predicament where, yeah. where like Tiff just like wipes me out. Well, that is the thing. If you do Tiff, it is very hard to do Fantastic Fest as well because they're pretty much back-to-back. Yeah. I like. I wish so badly that someone would just like bump theirs up or bump theirs back just a little bit. <laughs> um. Yeah, so those were kind of highlight events. I participated for the first time in the Fantastic Feud. What? That was weird. What did you What did you feud about? Uh, well, it's like a it's part. So it wasn't the debates, which is where you fight. No, no, no. Yeah, not like fist fighting. Yeah, no. The feuds are like a trivia competition. I would want to do the debates. I you wanna, you like, would. Someone in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like we can make that happen for okay. you. What would you want to debate about? I, what were some of the topics this year? I didn't go. Oh, okay. Well, what are, know. like, give me an example of what uh, the topic is. What's the best Rocky movie? Or oh. Things like that. Um, um, anything that I could fight for, Jurassic Park or Scream is fine by me. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know how. And it's like, if they had a dinosaur tattoo that year, I would get mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Like, I had to get my Godzilla. Yeah. I, I feel that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the feuds are different. You're like on a team and you go up on stage and there's a trivia portion. Oh no. And it's impossibly hard trivia. I knew two answers and none of which were my questions. Um, what were the questions? Do you remember any? No, because I've like never even heard of the things they were asking about. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will say Mike Vanderbilt was on my team and he has impossibly good trivia knowledge for that kind of stuff. He totally carried us through that first portion. Oh, also on my team. Ari Aster. That was weird. <laughs> That's so random. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it was so weird. He also was like, why am I doing this? And I was like, I don't know why I'm doing it either. I just got a text last night. And that seemed to be the vibe of a lot of people this year was like, I'm a very shy person. What am I doing? But we had a lot of fun. And uh, they, they, I'll bring up a picture for you. You guys can look this up online. Uh, they made Ari Aster a, a flower th- Throne oh, I think I saw a picture that he just was like mortified about. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty, pretty entertaining to watch him sit there and be like, this is oh, so embarrassing. No, poor guy. He's just like, he, he 
is not a showboater. So it was very funny to watch him be in that situation. I know. I got a taste of that during the, the post-screening Q&A. That, uh-huh. He, yeah, he's just like, he doesn't like to, he's to sit there and, you know. Not a big yeah not a showboater he's like he wants to do the work yeah. and like uh yeah the vibe here, I get here he is in his his throne oh, no. <laughs> i know and then mike made him drink malort we all had to drink malort it was not <laughs> i can't endorse i cannot endorse that beverage but as you can see i had a blast i'm laughing oh, my so happy. i'm having fun we're laughing uh so that was an experience and I'm glad I did it, even though as a not as a person who's terrified of crowds, I'm not sure it's the right fit for me. So explain to me a little bit about how the feud works with like like fist fighting, like punching people, but also arguing a point. Okay, so that's the debates. Uh, debates. You yes. did feuds. I'm talking about debates. Yes. Okay. Understandable. They're very similar words. Yes, yes. Here's Ari drinking uh, Malort, which nobody likes. <laughs> uh, the, the debates are like you go up uh, to two podiums and you debate two sides of an argument. Okay. And then someone will win that portion of the debate, like the actual debate debate. Okay. And then after that, they fist fight. And then okay. someone will win the fist fight portion of it. And is like the fist fighting part legit boxing or does it just get like super sloppy? It depends. Totally <laughs> depends on the fight. Okay. Like, who could I fight? Who should who I challenge? Do, do I challenge Christy. someone? No, you and Christy would put up a good match, though. I don't think I could, I don't think I could, like, even with boxing gloves on, I don't think I could hit Christy. Fair enough. That's That's actually a problem now that I think about it. Who would you be willing to hit? I I don't know. I think I I would have to not know the person. Yeah, maybe that's the best ticket. Or not know the person, but be introduced to the person minutes before and have that person say something nasty about one of my friends, and then I'd punch them in the face. (laughs) Perfect. I mean, they don't all have to be, like, knockdown dragouts either. Some people legitimately get contentious and fucking fight. I'm I'm afraid that if I fought Christy, I would be, like, giggling like a maniac the entire time. That happens. Uh... There was a fight between a couple this year that obviously oh, wasn't going to be like a real <laughs> fight. That was more of like something they worked on together. Oh, as a, uh, she kicked his ass, but um, it's it's just a, a fun thing. I don't know. I feel like what about, I feel like you and Donato could do it in good spirits. Like you could hit Probably. Donato. I, I would hit Donato. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Someone clip that out and send that to him. <laughs> he'll love it. He'll, he'll make it his new ringtone. Probably. Uh, <laughs> knowing him. Next year. Next yes, year. next year. All right. You listening, Fonz? Make Donato right. and Perry fight. Yeah. If if that goes officially on the books, I don't care how exhausted I am, I will go. All right. Uh, we'll work on that. There. So, all right. Here's here's my request. If you want me to like like put it in writing and sign my name to it right now, I want a a what was it, a debate with Donato yeah. where I fight for Jurassic Park uh-huh. and I want a guaranteed dinosaur on the tattoo list. And <laughs> she's I, she like, comes I, with a lot of demands. I will not go back on my words right now. I will be there if that'll happen. All right. It's out there, universe. Make it happen. I want that to happen. I was lucky to have um, the wonderful Miss Dorina with me for the first few days this time. Did you guys do an interview together? We did. I saw that slice and yes. I got very, very jealous and very happy at the same time because yeah. Dorina just is like the she's freaking greatest thing so in the world. Wonderful. Yeah. She's so wonderful. We got to talk to Takashi McKay, which was like, what? 
<laughs> How's that happening? Uh, <laughs> I just heard that in like the voice too that you said, Alicia. <laughs> Alicia. <laughs> Nobody knows what we're talking no, about right that's now. That's fine. It's our show. We do. Why, why don't you have a Twitter name? We, okay, so background. We were we were pitching Alicia Grouso Twitter names to celebrate Halloween because yeah. right now I am Perry Nemiratu, as in Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. What what are you right now? I don't have one. I can never think of one. Haley. I know. Fouch, as in you got stabbed. That's the only one I can ever think of. It's the only one. Uh, what's what's like a Hellraiser Fouch, Halloween Fouch? Oh, oh, I don't know. Halloween one year uh, I did All Hollows Haley. And there's like, it's hard. Hocus, pocus. Now I'm just like going through Hel- H words. This is a disaster. I, it's hard. It's hard. Uh, when we put it guys, out to Twitter, yeah. they, they always figure it out. I if want, you guys have any suggestions. Who came up with mine. Tweet I want to give me. them a shout out. Yeah, that's a good one. I wouldn't have come up with that. Sup. <laughs> I was looking up the person's oh, name who figured um, out mine. Yeah, I can't think of one. But if you guys have suggestions, I'm open to them because it is not my gift. And I don't just want to surround my regular name in like a bunch of pumpkin emojis either because that's that's not it. I like completely changed my uh, oh, yeah, like my avatar, avatar and, and, and background. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's never on there. So anyway. the person who came up with my name, it goes by the Twitter handle. Uh, Gainlon, it's spelled G-A-N-E-L-O-N, and this individual sent me a bunch of them, and the two that I was debating between, Perry and Emiratu, which is what I went for, uh-huh. and then he also, or she also suggested Perry Midsamaroff, which I was <laughs> this close. Was I was debating between the two of them, and then I ended up going, because I, I love Nosferatu, like yeah. original Nosferatu, but mostly because of the episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark that's a play on Nosferatu. That episode was like a major childhood moment, so I had to go with that. Excellent choice. I know. I'm, is there something we could do with Haley and Harga? I don't know. My name has the first letter of a lot of good things, but not a lot of like combo opportunities. Start talking about your Fantastic Fest movies while Let's. I look up a list of H <laughs> horror movies. Let's do it. Okay. So, Fantastic Fest movies. Like Perry's recap out of TIFF, I liked almost everything I saw. I really, there was so few titles that, that didn't at least go into like, the firmly I enjoyed that category. Maybe not obsessed, but firmly enjoyed. So I'm going to kind of run through them and I'm going to start, I think as you did, I'm, these aren't <clears throat> exactly ranked because ranking movies is insane and I'm not very good at it, but these are vaguely in an order of what I really, really liked. Do you want to hit me with those names first before I start? I mean, like the Haley has eyes. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. The Hills of Haley. <laughs> the Hills of Haley. Um, yeah, we're not having much luck with H horror movies. Yeah. Candy, that is like, like what do you Haley. do? What do you do with like Hatchet, Halloween, House of the Devil, House of the Haley? Let me see if like F has anything better. Oh, hmm. page not found. What the heck? No, I'm pretty sure F's a real letter. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Page definitely found. All right, let's let's see here. A to Z horror films. Okay. Oh my god! I have to scroll all the way to F. I would start yes. talking about something right. else. Yeah, let's let's get into it. The faculty, Haley, Haley, the faculty. Facu- no, no, that just final destination. Like final destination. Fouch destination. None of these work. No, I'm not. I'm not, final, I'm not final okay with these. Fouchination. Fat the the fog. Fright night. Fouch night. 
<laughs> Oy, this is such a disaster. I know. All right, we need you guys. Save us. From Haley. From Haley. <laughs> <laughs> With love. I give up. Haleyfear.com. Haley.com. No, that's not fun because this is true. When I was very young, I don't know what it is now. But when I was very young, like, and the internet was I'm just... I'm like, afraid to drink something. I'm afraid you're going to make don't, me laugh It's not going to be that, right that now. funny. But when I was probably 11 or 12, when the internet was just popping off, I was like, what's Haley.com? Blowjob site. Specifically what? blowjob what? porn. Yeah. Is it still that way? I haven't looked. Wait, Let's find you, out. Wait, you went to Haley.com? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wait, like, spelled like your name. Spelled like my name. It was a no. long time ago. Thank The domain for Haley.com is for sale. If anyone oh. would like to purchase it, go If you for do, it. please don't make it blowjob porn. Haley.com. What's Perry.com? Yeah. Is it also for sale? This one's taking a little while to load oh. up. I'm nervous. I'm nervous, too. I'm what really... All right, nothing's happening. All right, maybe that one doesn't even exist. Anyway, we're off the rails today. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start talking through some of these movies. Let's hear it. Vaguely in some kind of order that's not accurate. Uh, the Wave is a sort of, I don't know, fun, colorful movie about, I think it was pretty clearly inspired by some wicked drug trips. Uh, but basically, Justin Long stars as a guy who goes out one night, does some hard drugs, and then wakes up the next morning and nothing is right, and he keeps skipping through time, kind of, yeah. and seeing things. And it's, it's entertaining, it's colorful, it's vibrant, and it has a nice message about people just trying to do their damn best. Mm. But it wouldn't be at the, like, the very top of my you-must-see-this-list. It's uh, called The Wave? The Wave. Because I saw a movie at uh, Toronto called Waves. Oh. Was it also about drugs and doing your best? No. There's like a little piece of it that might be about, you know, not necessarily doing your best, but being <laughs> a good person, I guess. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what this is about. So, yeah, waves and decency. All right, then we've got Fractured, which is coming to Netflix this month by Brad Anderson, director of Session 9 and The Machinist. Uh, Fractured is beautifully shot. It is Brad Anderson. He knows his way around a camera. But it does have a very familiar script so that's a bit of a bummer. And it's a, a movie built around twists and turns. And unfortunately, I think they're all a bit easy to see coming because we've seen this movie a lot. Okay. Uh, but again, beautifully shot, really evocative imagery. And most impressive to me, the reason why I actually ended up liking it more than not liking it, even though I always knew it was going to happen, was Brad Anderson is so good at putting you in the emotional state of someone who is just losing it like who's just at their breaking point the the first 15 minutes of the movie i was like oh god i'm gonna lose it too um so that's very impressive to me next is uh vhs which is super cute um jack henry robbins directed it it's the i it's got like a brilliant hook to the structure what is it VH, yes. Yes. Okay. And it's it's basically as if you picked up... It was shot on VHS, and ah, it see. is as if you picked up an old VHS from your home that had been recorded over a million times huh. and pressed play. That's how the film plays. Um, the idea is that a young boy in the 80s gets a camcorder for Christmas, and the video he puts in to record is his parents' wedding video. 
So he tapes over his parents' wedding videos. So the movie flashes between his parents' wedding, that Christmas morning as he's recording, his favorite television programs that he plugs in and records on TV, and it kind of bounces between all of that. Sounds insanely ambitious. It's super ambitious. It's really fun. The television programs, that the fake TV programs that they made are really funny and familiar for anyone from the, like, who was around in the 80s. There's a really funny woman who's clearly a play on Bob Ross. There's a very uh, sort of Videodrome-esque scene about a, a, a scientist who's like, how will videos change the world? What will reality become when we're filming everything? And there's just a lot of fun in there. There's a, like a QVC-style home shopping duo who have really great chemistry. And as it bounces through these things, ultimately what makes it work for me is that there is a through line, of a really heartfelt emotional through line about he actually, in fact, might be capturing the first stages of his parents' incoming divorce uh, while he's sort of doing his blind. Oh boy. His, like, he's just a kid running around capturing shit, but in the background, his parents are kind I of falling apart. so curious. Yeah, and so this is like, you can hear how enthusiastic I am about this, and it's like very low to the bottom of my list. So this is how <sighs> much I like all these movies. Um Next up is In the Tall Grass, which we will talk more about oh, later. Yes. So I will simply say, uh, to touch on it, love Vincenzo Natale's imagery, as always. Great use of sound design. I like what he did with King's story because the short story as it stands is not up to a film. Moving on because we're going to talk about yep. that more. Sea uh, Fever, which you loved. Yeah. I liked. Okay. Uh, beautifully shot. Yes. Excellent acting. Yes. Um, good tension. For me, the only real downsides were just that it felt super familiar. Like, okay. I've seen this movie a lot. I've seen a lot yeah, of yeah. infection thrillers like this. Um, I've seen a lot of uh, creature features like this. I, it's all just ultimately been done before, which is my only sort of takeaway from it is like, yes, good, but I know. Um, I will say, as I mentioned when you were talking about, loved seeing DeGray Scott and Connie Nielsen. Uh-huh. They were great. The main actress... She's something else. So good. Funny thing is the other day I was just like randomly sitting at home and I, you know, I leave the TV on all the time, usually on one of the movie channels and a movie came on and she was in it and it just caught my eye and I didn't have time to watch the whole thing, but it was one of those scenarios where it's like she was so captivating all over again that I had a hard time peeling myself away from it. She's really good. She was in one this year called Rust Creek. That's that's what it was. Yep. It's, it was ru- it's very it was solid. Rust, it was Rust Creek, and all I wanted to do was sit there and watch the rest of it, and I like had to go do something, but now I've kind of flagged that to watch the full thing through. It's a super, super solid low-budget thriller that hinges entirely on her performance, and she carries it mm-hmm. wonderfully. Uh, I will always remember her as the uh, record store girl from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Oh, wow. Because uh, her face just always stands out that's to me funny. from that. Yeah. I didn't even put that together until just now. I will never forget her face from That's that. Funny. Okay. Anyway, so that one I liked quite a bit. I wish there was a bit more monstery stuff. I wish they had played up the sort of fear of the ocean a bit more, the thalassophobia, which I have very badly. Yeah. Um, I feel like if they, had, if they had really triggered that a bit more, it would have shot up more for me. But it's a very well-made movie. Uh, Dogs Don't Wear Pants. This actually... One best picture at the festival. Really? Not what you're thinking from the title. I can no, already tell yeah, by your face. A little confused, um, but it's okay. Dogs Don't Wear Pants is about BDSM. And <laughs> Well then, no, that is not what yeah. I was thinking at all. No, no. It's about grief, BDSM, fatherhood a little bit. And it's... it's so there's no like four-legged dogs at There all. are no dogs involved. All right. Only a woman calling a man a dog because he I mean, paid for it. 
Yeah, my, um, my interest just dropped a little bit, but yeah. I don't know if you vouch for it. Maybe I'll say it. It's, it's pretty solid. It's a good drama. Again, though, it feels like something I've seen before. Mm-hmm. I will say gorgeously shot. A lot of really good imagery, a lot of play with light that is very striking. And the actors, especially the actress who plays the dominatrix, <coughs> really, really solid and compelling work from her. Uh, it did win the best picture from the jury. I I personally don't agree with that but it it is a well-respected solid film that you should put on your radar if you are into sort of darker stories and if you're not super like going to get offended by poor representations of bdsm because none of this is realistic it's it's like 100 percent movie it's just something that seemed to bother a lot of people on the ground um so just know that don't go into it for like accurate depictions of the lifestyle. Does the audience reaction usually line up with the jury reaction as far as the awards go? Hmm. Sometimes. I'm not sure I could say that it's like consistent enough yeah. to, to Was there an audience award? Yes, the audience awards this was weird. This never happens. Um I can't remember the order they were in, but it was Parasite, Jojo Rabbit, and uh, Knives Out took the audience awards, oh, wow. and it's never the case that three studio films take them. Huh. So that was a very weird thing this year. That's exciting, yeah. considering two of those are two of my favorite from <laughs> TIFF, and then I wound up loving Parasite after. Um, yeah, that was cool. That was very different, and I think it says really cool things about where studio movies that aren't like superhero space movies are at right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, Blood Machines. Somewhere between a feature and a short. It's about 50-something minutes. It's very cool. It is it has like a synth score by Carpenter Brute. And it was kickstarted, made for I think something like $300,000. Has an outrageous, outrageous amount of CG shots for something with that kind of budget. Oh, they boy, spent, look at this. Yes, they spent years making it look beautiful. And it is beautiful. And the score is impressive. It's just... As far as the story goes, because it is a 15-minute movie, there's only so much they can do, and a lot of it doesn't quite make sense. But I thoroughly enjoyed my experience with it, and uh, absolutely a a good way to spend your hour. And really, again, beautiful, wild visuals that I cannot believe they did for that money. Next up is In the Shadow of the Moon, now on Netflix. Um, I liked it. I seem to have liked it more than some people. Really ambitious sci-fi detective film ah jim mickle (coughs) jim mickle's latest and it's very different for him it's very very uh high concept for him but it basically spans four decades as this detective tries to hunt down a time traveling serial killer and it's pretty cool um it's not a home run the end is a bit doesn't land as (laughs) as surprisingly as i think they think it does you're Mm -hmm. like kind of like yeah, I know. Maybe I'll watch this this uh, But you should. It's good. I liked it a lot. Next up, I already talked about this one, but um, I'm including it because I did see it, and it is in the, whatever, it played there, Vivarium, mm-hmm. which I caught at Fantasia, liked a lot, already talked about cool Twilight zone things during Imogen Poots yeah. and Jesse Eisenberg. Creepy. Keep it on your radar. Iron Fist and Fun- Kung Fu Kicks is a documentary about Kung Fu cinema and martial arts movies and Hong Kong cinema. It's really fun. It is a perfect movie for, if you're like me, if you're a martial arts enthusiast but not an expert, really great um, broad overview of the genre. It doesn't go very deep on any subject matter because it is trying to give such a comprehensive look at how 
basically Hong Kong cinema changed the rest of the world's action cinema. But it takes you from like Shaw Brothers, you know, all the way through. It goes basically Shaw Brothers to today's cinema and how like when The Matrix came out, that made Kung Fu a part of American cinema, how the the rise of the direct-to-video action scene and how the early days of that led to the sort of stars of it we have now, how um, how Kung Fu impacted hip-hop dancing in America, how Kung Fu cinema just basically changed culture around the world in many, many ways. The biggest uh, amount of focus goes to Bruce Lee, as it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also talk a good deal about Jackie Chan. There's a lot of... It's just a lot. It's not It's not one focus on anything deep. Bruce Lee gets the most focus, but everything is more of just a, here's how the tendrils of this genre reached out across the world, which I found really interesting. How, you know, how parkour kind of was born from watching Jackie Chan movies, things like that. Um, it's really good. Co-written by Grady Hendrix, who is mm. familiar for My Best Friend's Exorcism, or Horror Store, things like that, apparently is also very, very knowledgeable about uh, martial arts movies and okay now we're getting into like oh boy the goods <laughs> how many movies did you see total i think 25 <sighs> okay uh, i'm not running down all those i kind of left off the ones i wasn't crazy about huh. that's a that's a nice chunk mm-hmm. of movie watching but i did most of them on screeners unfortunately because yeah, yeah. i was I doing mean, so the, many interviews it's the name of the game i mean if yeah. you want to be able to catch everything and do everything that's what you gotta do i had to do a lot of interviews not had to i was lucky to do a lot yeah. of interviews but that meant a lot of screeners so some things i would have loved to have seen in the theater but they were still good um after midnight being one of those this is from jeremy gardner director of the battery uh, it's oh, wow. sort of right in line with that. It's a genre film that's more focused on emotion and relationships. This one is about a uh, a couple who's been together for 10 years. He's perfectly happy. She's perfectly not. And she leaves him with a note saying little more than like, I'm out of here for a bit. And after she leaves, he starts hearing a monster trying to beat down his door every night. And so the film flashes back between their relationship, the present, uh, all while he's dealing with this monster outside of his door. Uh, for me, I think it's so cool. I think it is really emotional, satisfying, romantic. I got caught up in their love story, but also the monster stuff's really cool. And <coughs> sorry, I never talk this much. Um, uh, and it has for me the one of the best earned and best delivered jump scares of the year. Ooh, yeah. All right, all right. I it's, totally didn't see it coming, and I was like, that's great. I want to see what that is. I want to watch the movie and see if I could figure out specifically what jump scare you're you, talking you about. You know. There's no way you wouldn't know. Um, and Justin Benson's in it. I was just going to say, it is also produced by the Justin Benson, Aaron Moorhead, oh, David cool. Lawson team, who well, does... That, that immediately puts it on yes, my must-watch list. Exactly. Uh, Come to Daddy is another one I already saw, yes. but adore and wanted to mention here, Aunt Timpson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you already heard me talk about it. It is wild and insane. You will not know where it's going. Elijah Wood is deliciously ridiculous. Stephen McCaddy is chewing up every piece of scenery he can get his hands on. I can't recommend it enough. I did an interview with Aunt Timpson, so stay tuned for that on the dot com. Uh, Sweetheart. Now this oh, I'm excited to talk I about. I can't wait to see this movie. Yes. Okay. Sweetheart owns, I love this movie, 
this was one I wish I had seen in theater. I had to watch on a screener because I talked to the director, J.D. Dillard, who directed Slight. Slight is so good. And I feel like not enough people out there have seen Slight. True. And unfortunately, that could be true of Sweetheart. So I implore all of you to watch it when it arrives on VOD this month, October 22nd. It is not getting a theatrical release, which is some nonsense. Uh, it is a very cool, very low budget, very resourceful really well-directed and incredibly acted by Kiersey Clemens' mm-hmm. monster movie. This is a freaking classic creature-feature-style film about a girl who washes up on a beach on a deserted island, and it turns out a monster lives there. And it's just so good. It and has Henry Cohen's in it. He is. I quite like him, too. I like him a lot. He is deliciously gross in it. Um, not gross. <laughs> that's not the right no. word. Just, like, off-putting. Okay. Um... It's so good. It has something to say about being a woman, being a black woman in particular, and what that experience is like. And it's told through this sort of monster story as, you know, the allegory for that. But what really sold me on it, the creature looks super freaking cool. Mm-hmm. The, uh, just the resourcefulness of Dillard's filmmaking, I thought, was next level. Like, he is shooting this in sort of a single location, so to speak, which is this island. But he makes it feel... Like, there are multiple sets and locations by moving things up in the air, putting them on a raft, putting them in different color spaces. Like, he puts her in a hammock, and that gives the film a new texture, Mm. you know, things like that. And he devises a lot. He puts her in a log where she's hiding. It feels very different. And he finds a lot of ways to, A, deliver cool-ass creature stuff with no money, but also make the film feel bigger than it is. I, I, I super support this movie. So Blumhouse Snatch just went up, comes out October 22nd where specifically? VOD. Just, just digitally? Yeah. All right. It's not streaming, but it will be available to rent by. I'm still going to... I'm going to buy it. You must. You must. It's super good. I, I can't recommend it enough. And we are back to Benson and Moorhead with Synchronic. Synchronic. Which I super dug. Uh, I know you're a little more iffy on it out of TIFF. Uh, I'm like, you know, it's not my favorite of all of their films, but I definitely teetered positive on it. Yeah, it's not my favorite either, uh, but I I really dug it. I was into it. I found, I don't know, just weirdly chilling. (laughs) Like, it's not even a scary movie, but certain shots and things really got me. Well, I mean, it's also certain shots and just... I feel like most representations of time travel we see on the big screen yeah. is in a in a fantasy type way. Like, yeah. where would you go if you could time travel? Look at all this cool stuff. And this really gets into certain things that I've never personally thought of mm-hmm. if I was dropped in a different time period. You know, how I might be treated differently than oh, I am now. And yeah. that's, that's freaky well, stuff. The lead is Anthony Mackie, if that points you in the direction of what she's talking about. Yep. And the old joke about how black people don't want to time travel. There's a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really smart, too. Like, these guys are so smart. They thought about it in such depth, like what it would mean to be randomly deposited in different p- pockets of time. Mm-hmm. Um, Mackie was excellent. He is very, very good in this movie. Did such a good do- job with their dialogue, too, which I feel is like can be quite word heavy and yeah. thought heavy, and he really handles there's, it. There's makes a, a significant meal. amount of the movie that rests entirely on his shoulders, yes. too. I mean, his connection with Jamie Dornan and his daughter are important, but he's alone in yes. a good deal of this movie. I, I really dug it. I think it's super clever. I think it, once again, shows their their incredible gift for giving you a keyhole look into a world that is mm. enormous and fascinating and terrifying and you barely get to glimpse it 
uh, which makes it all the more alluring because you want to know, but, but what? What does it mean? <laughs> you know? Uh, so I'm super into that and can't recommend it enough. Next up. I don't think that has a release date yet, but it will because uh, they're with they're with Walgo USA, right? Like it's going to come out. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, First Love, Takashi Miike. You can watch this right now. It just came out on in no i don't think it's out on vod yet but it is in select theaters and will be rolling out nationwide this week oh my goodness so much fun his most crowd-pleasing film i can remember in years it's a crime comedy romance uh the main guy's a boxer who finds out he has a terminal uh brain tumor oh hey that's two brain tumors back to back (laughs) um god (laughs) but he he finds out he has a brain tumor and at the same basically he can't box anymore same night he meets a girl who has been basically put into sex slavery with the yakuza and that's where he decides to put his fighting skills is to try to hurt hurt her help her and uh they fall in love and there's funny crime stuff there's an insane yakuza guy who just wants to be the top of the rung and he clearly saw too many movies and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing lots of comedy lots of goods so let's say i pushed pause on his movies since seeing yakuza apocalypse should i come back for this one yes okay i i wherever whichever movie it was that made you press pause this is a good time to all press right. play again all right i'm in i guess i get it his movies are not always for everyone yeah uh, this one I think really is for everyone. It's a super crowd pleaser. It's, I mean, it's I never violent. The frog from Yakuza Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. So there's something. Plus, he really does such incredible imagery and stuff. And there's there are moments of like intense imagery in this, but um, not like that. Uh, there's also a character named Julie that you'll just be obsessed with. Okay. Yeah, she's an unstoppable force. And now we are into the hippie top tier oh boy uh my last five that i'm going to talk about okay knives out we yes. know we know so good yes so expertly crafted it is just it's one of those movies where if like a teeny tiny piece of it isn't at peak performance the yeah. whole thing could crumble down and every like ryan johnson's leadership is what's being showcased here mm-hmm. how he just pulls every single department together so so well it's clarity of vision in like the strongest yeah. sense the dialogue is just out of out of hand good. I w- we talked about this a bit on Movie Talk today, but there is a line that made me laugh disgustingly hard. Yes. Like, humans shouldn't make mm-hmm. that noise in public hard. Um, they're, all of the actors are used to the best of their ability. They, he, has a, he has not wasted any member of this incredible ensemble. Even, like... I don't, I'm not that familiar with the work of Don Johnson. I have to be honest. It wasn't my generation. He totally he killed it. very, very good in this. Killed it. Uh, obviously, the rest are like, yeah, duh, they were good. Like Chris Evans, Tony Collette. Yeah. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Duh. They're great. Anna DeArmas is the lead. And she as she should else. be. She's fantastic in it. Christopher Plummer is having a wonderful time in this movie. Uh, I just, I, 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 there's nothing not to like about it. It is a crowd-pleasing yeah. Funny, surprising, beautifully made, beautifully shot. Um, yeah, I, I can't just you. You already know. Go see yeah. the movie. You're gonna see the movie. Color out of space. Woo. Oh yeah, yeah. Woo. Oh, woo. oh my. <laughs> I am so curious about this what one, Cage. <laughs> what a movie. What a messy, messy movie that I totally don't care and absolutely love. It is messy. It is wild. 
nobody seems to be acting in the same film. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Don't care. Doesn't matter. It is the best. Uh, maybe not the best. It is easily one of the best Lovecraft adaptations that's out there. No, no. I'm going to go ahead and say it's the best Lovecraft adaptation. But like it, it captures the the feeling of Lovecraft as mm-hmm. well, as well as you know, in the Mouth of Madness or something like that. It has, oh my God, so brutal body horror. It has some of the best like humorous payoffs that are both disgusting and funny. There's a long, I don't know, like... <sighs> Nicolas Cage brings up his alpacas the whole fucking movie, and it just gets funnier every uh. single time he mentions the alpacas. And I, I can't tell you why that's funny, <laughs> but it's Nicolas Cage. So, like, when he says alpaca, you will laugh. I've heard a lot about the alpacas. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> uh, it's just... It, I really loved it. Richard Stanley, glad he's back in business. And I also got to talk to him, so there'll be an interview going on the dot com. He is a wild card. Love it. We've got Julian Hillard in it from uh, from uh, Hill House. Yep. yep. Yeah, just like scrolling through the IMDb. He's getting traumatized. We've got Brendan Meyer. Traumatized all over again. Friend of friend of the Schmodown. Yes, yes. Mr. Brendan Meyer. it's it's a fun one. I I mean, fun might be the wrong word because it's pretty freaking brutal. But I enjoyed the hell out of it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. St. Maud. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. St. Maud. New A24 horror movie acquired by them after TIFF. It is about <clears throat> a recently converted re- Christian devotee who gets a job as a nurse for a dying woman who is not interested in religion very much at all. And sort of about their battle of wits as Maud decides that she's going to save this woman's soul and the woman says no mm. and uh, spooky spooky stuff happens after that as, as Maud may or may not be I can't wait to watch this properly yeah this is one of those movies that still made a big impression even though it was like wedged into my you know like the super shitty portion of my screening time <laughs> right. where you know as the interview schedule picks up at a point you're forced to just watch screeners on your laptop in between your other interviews. And even watching St. Maud that way, I was still riveted, yeah. riveted right from the very beginning of the movie. But I want to I wanna sit down. I want them to start screening this so I could sit down in a movie theater and experience certain things that happen. Oh, yeah. Like on the big screen with proper sound. Give it to me. Hopefully with an audience because I, I, yes. it does have, I would say, some of the most vocal reactions <laughs> of the whole Fantastic Fest. But just picture me in our interview suite having those vocal reactions with my headphones <laughs> in by myself. That is what happened. It's great. I, I really loved it. Like, love this movie. And um, I can't say enough good things about it. And a hell of a, hell of a directorial debut from Rose Glass. Um, it's just haunting, chilling, uh, emotionally rich intellectually rich it's a really good film about trauma and faith and how different people respond to trauma differently and what faith means to different people when they're in the midst of trauma and that push pull between the desire to save and those who do not want to be saved and do not believe Mm -hmm. and the power of belief and the fear of doubt when you are a believer it's so good it's so intense and it scared me It, it actually scared me i woke up in the middle of the night and i was afraid which is very hard to do. I'm getting excited by knowing what's left. I know one that's left. Well, we've talked about both of them before. One that's left is Parasite. Oh my God, I know both that are left. Yes. Parasite and Jojo Rabbit. Nope. 
didn't see Jojo Rabbit. What? Yep. Oh, wow. So uh, what's the other one? Knives and Skin, my baby girl. Oh, my God. Yes, yes. yes. All right. That, no, that makes sense. Yes. I don't know why I thought you saw Jojo. No, no, no. We had a staff meeting that I had to be on that was last minute. So I felt really... Staff meetings are important, but Jojo Rabbit's Really happy about too. how that happened. Oh, no. Um, <gasps> yes, so Parasite we all know is going to be one of the biggest talking yes. points of the year. Mm-hmm. Fantastic film about class, about family, about, um, gosh, hard to talk about without giving it away, but it is not one that will leave you easily. It is not one you will expect in the way that it plays out. And it is one to put at the very Go tippy top of your list immediately. See it. Yes. Go see it while reading minimal things about it. Correct. Because I mean, you don't want an ounce of this movie spoiled for you. And it's not like me spoiling it by saying, oh, there's a twist. There's so many unexpected things that exceeded my expectations in just like a million different senses, whether it's tonal shifts or just visual choices or story choices, how the characters develop throughout the movie. Just go into this as blind as possible and let him take you on that ride. I wouldn't even say that there's a twist. I would say that it's a film that is never the film you think it's going to be. Exactly, yeah. Um, it is in itself something that is just defiant at every turn. Mm-hmm. I love it. And, of course, Knives and Skin. I got to give credit. That ended up being my favorite movie of Fantastic really? Fest, even though wow. I saw it in another festival. So you saw it with an audience there. Yeah. And how did it play? I, wonderful. Of it's course. hilarious. I love that movie. I love it so very much. I, it's like maybe, I don't know, it's the most me movie I've seen this right. year. The movie this year that speaks to my sensibilities the most. Okay. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit, but in case you missed that episode, it's about a girl who goes missing and what happens to the town in the aftermath of that. There are musical numbers. There's wild glowing shit for no hmm. fucking reason. There's like uh, insane character interactions. It's very John Watersy. It's wonderful. If you did miss the last time we spoke about Knives and Skin, I will urge you to go back because that was actually our first live edition of Witching Hour. We had uh, director Jennifer Reeder with us. So yes. if you want to learn more about Knives and Skin through her, just go back and watch yes. the uh, watch and listen to the listen to the. We had no video equipment. <laughs> I recorded some of it on my cell phone. That's but it still right. sounds great. Um, uh, go listen to that episode from North Bend. That's how much I loved it. I love it so much. I forgot to self promote. all right anything else fantastic best related before we close the book on that and move over to our review amazing time amazing experience thank you to all who were there who bought me a drink who said hello thank you to the fonzes thank you to my fantastic family it's so beautiful I seriously, I hope Afonz is listening so they (laughs) tick all of my must boxes and I'm forced to go next year all right Now it's time for our In the Tall Grass review. This review is non-spoiler, so do not worry if you have not watched the movie on Netflix just yet. You are safe here, and you can can take our assessment and run with it if you would like. So In the Tall Grass, uh, I'll just read the uh, IMDb synopsis really quickly in case someone out there does not know what this is about. After hearing a young boy's cry for help, a sister and brother venture into a vast field of tall grass in Kansas, but soon discover there may be no way out, and that something evil lurks within. So, in the tall grass, thumbs up, thumbs down. How'd you feel about it? It was a thumbs up for me. Yep. It was a, it was a not like a very too enthusiastic thumbs up, but it was a, it was a solid one yes. thumbs up. I think I'm right in line with you. A, a very, very solid 
one thumb up. And I think it it's just yet another solid Stephen King ad- adaptation we got this year. I think that's literally the headline of my review. Oh, it's it really? like another solid Stephen oh, King adaptation funny. from Netflix. It just really excites me yeah. with how many we've got this year. I'm P- Pet Cemetery, It Chapter 2, In the Tall Grass, and we have Dr. Sleep coming up, which, yeah. oh my, please, please, please be good. Please Hopefully. be really, really, really good. Um, but we're doing pretty well with them right now. Yes. And I also just started listening to The Institute, which I'm liking quite oh, a bit. Cool. Uh, but I thought this was great. I think Vincenzo Natale strikes the perfect balance between making something that I feel like is a bit of a crowd pleaser while also embracing the weirdness yeah. that I usually like to see in his movies. It just comes together beautifully. I liked the performances quite a bit, and I was just very impressed by how he shows us a movie that takes place entirely in one location, yeah. largely in a field of grass, and it always has a fresh feel and unease, just the way that the, the movie kind of sucks you in and makes you feel suffocated. Because to me, the first half of the movie feels very repetitive, but yes. appropriately so to the point that I wasn't getting antsy to the point that I want to shut this off now. I was getting antsy and uncomfortable and scared and suffocated. And I thought that that was a perfect feeling to have for this kind of story. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it can't be understated how hard it is to make a film in a field of yes. grass look good. Yes. And he really, he really does. And part of the film is that there is no sense of geography available, which helps him. Um, you know, they, they, the whole idea is they can't find anything. Uh, because creating geography in a field of grass is very difficult. <laughs> but I will say that like he, he creates senses uh, of space, different spaces within that weird geography that mm-hmm. each feels different and unique. Uh, he also, from a writing perspective, had to take a, a very short story that is not fit for a film and fill it into something that works for a movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the mechanisms he used to do so are clever and interesting and smart and and make it not a better story, but absolutely a better story for film. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to run through some of the performances here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know who I have to talk about first, right? Oh, boy, Patrick Wilson. What a fun role. You are something else in this. You clearly are loving this opportunity, oh too. My and God. I, I can't get enough of it. He is just so perfectly cast in this role. But I think that everyone here delivers. And there are a couple of newer names on the list that I'm yeah. not especially familiar with. I hope I pronounce her name right. Is it Laisla? Laisla D. Oliver. I should know how to pronounce her name because she actually came through the interview suite for oh. uh, the Adam Agoyan movie, uh, Guest of Honor. And I thought she was really, really good in that. So when all of a sudden I got back from TIFF and I started my In the Tall Grass screener and I saw her in this, yeah. I'm like, oh, I should have asked you about this there. I should have done my research. But I think <laughs> we're she, all doing our best. I do think that she is excellent. This is a very challenging ensemble piece because yeah. I think that the. Uh, the perspective shifts quite a bit and also the protagonist shifts a lot and I think every single person commands the screen when necessary from her down to the young star here who plays Tobin will I don't know how to pronounce this name we B-U-I-E Jr. I thought he was 
excellent he's, because he's he's got his hands full with yeah. what Tobin does in this movie. And it was very interesting because I actually went back and watched this twice, knowing how everything pans out. And I wanted to like piece together things they do at the beginning of the movie to understand certain intentions. And him in particular, I found very interesting to watch a second time through. He is. And he has a hard one because you're never, well, not never, but initially it's very hard to read if yes, he's an agent of good, evil, chaos. What is this little child? And he he does a wonderful job walking that line. And I also would sing out Harrison Gilbertson, who uh, is maybe one of the films. He doesn't seem like he's going to be very important at the start of yeah. the film, and he becomes more important as it goes, which is a really hard thing for an actor to take on, to not be introduced as one of the leads and then f- be thrust into a more leading role mm-hmm. as the film goes on. I thought he was great. And especially for, you know, I don't want to give away his character or anything, but he's the way he's introduced, you might not want to care about him, but he kind of makes you do care about him by the end. Absolutely. Uh, I just, I I really enjoyed it. I think it's really solid. I think it's a perfect, like, Netflix watch. I was about to say the same exact thing. This to me, like, I can't really explain why precisely, but something about this makes it feel like, like, yeah, actually I know the feeling because the way that I watched this was on my iPad, just Uh. in, in my face with, you know, a pitch black room around me. And it's that feeling where like the iPad is here, then it's here, then it's here, then Uh it's in my face. And I feel like I am in this field of grass with them and it freaked me out. Yeah, it was good. And it's, I will say as far as like it being a Netflix thing, I hope that if you do watch it on your iPad or your computer that use headphones and if you do watch it on your TV, yeah. turn the volume up because sound design is an important it part is. of the movie. Done very, very well. Very well. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm positive on it and I it just, it captures, I think, what's hard often to capture in King's work because he's doing Lovecraft light and this kind of captures that. Like this is a Lovecraftian story yeah. about this just what is up with this evil field. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's something you can't quantify, but it works. I don't want to blow it too far out of proportion, but it's almost got a little bit of, you know, the Jaws effect type thing Mm. where if I ever did approach a field (laughs) that looked a little like the field in this movie, I Uh might back away even if a small child was inside calling for help. I'm calling the cops. Then again, if a dog like Freddy ran in and needed help, like I would run in after Freddy. I'd go in after the dog (laughs) for sure, but I would call the cops if there was a child involved. Yeah, I'd probably... (laughs) At this point, after seeing the movie, I'd call the cops, but stand safely outside. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. So uh, two thumbs up here for In the Tall Grass. If you Mm. want to check it out for yourself, it is available on Netflix on Friday. So give it a watch. Tell us what you think. All right. Let us move on to, oh boy, here's our spoiler section. All right. We're going to talk about AHS 1984. At the point that we're recording this episode, they have aired two episodes. I believe they will have aired the third by the time you are able to watch or listen to this episode of Witching Hour. So Mm. this is spoiler-filled for episodes one and two. If you have not seen those two episodes and you choose to say, fine, do what you want. But if you don't want to be spoiled, I would leave now and come back after you've caught up on the show. All right, Haley. So... 1984, how you feeling about it so how far? How am I feeling about it? It's it's like an impossible question yeah. to answer when it comes to American Horror Story because, spoiler for Apocalypse, we what what were we, three episodes in when it was revealed that none of those characters yeah. even matter and something else entirely different was playing out? Right. So, like, I was thinking about that a lot when I was watching the first episode. I was like, I like what this is doing. It's extremely familiar, obviously. It's riffing on every slasher movie. 
But I also know this is not what the season's going to be, so I don't want to invest in this. So what do you think the season's going to be? Have you picked a, a theory that you like most? There's clearly some sort of timey wiminess happening. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of mentions of Satan. So there's a lot of mentions of Satan. So, all right. Here's my favorite theory. I okay. don't necessarily know if this is a theory that's going to, to pan out. Actually, I, I want to look up. I have my note here. I watched a really great theory video Ooh. that I want to give a little bit of a shout out to right now. Oh, please tell me I noted her name down. I think I did. I think I did. Hold on. Yes. Uh, gray, gray area on YouTube. So I watched this great breakdown video that she did of the of the opening credits and it points to the time travel stuff where you have the fast forward button. But mm -hmm. one of the lines in the first episode of the show is where Billy Lord, I believe, says about Cody Fern that they met by rear ending each other. And do you remember what happened at the end of Apocalypse where she runs him over? Oh. So there is a theory around right now saying that you remember in Apocalypse how in order for Cody Fern, how in order for Michael to, you know, see his plan through, you got to get rid of the witches first. So yeah. there is a theory saying that he goes back in time to 1984 to basically kill the person who gave birth to her. So Mallory doesn't exist to put a stop to his plan. Interesting. So, yeah, I do find that I do find that theory quite interesting in a, you know, like a, a fun, different way to connect the yeah. uh the different seasons of American Horror Story. So I'm very into that one right now. But the other theory out there is that the whole thing is actually a movie being made and the twist in episode six will basically take us behind the scenes with the actors playing these roles. But we also kind of did something did like that, that in Roanoke. So yeah. I think that is one too obvious of a move for them to make at this point. And also we've kind of done it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I just like... Like blurted out no, so no, many no, spoilers no. in your face. I, I'm just thinking. Uh, theories in your face. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. You know what I would love, honestly, is for none of that to be true. Okay. I would like something new and different. I don't want it to be tied to the whole witch stuff. Oh. I'm like so over that. I'm so done. Especially because he mm. already said that he has plans for that for season 10. I don't need like fucking five seasons out of the 10 to be about this one thing. What if the connection is that the camp is a hellmouth? Like huh. Murder House and uh, Hotel. Now that I'd be more into. Okay. Because I think that's a real possibility. Yeah. Especially with what uh, Lou Taylor Pucci's character is yeah. going through. where he Not that we necessarily had someone return in the flesh and be able to die again in those two locations. Yeah. They came back as ghosts, but like they could it's just be a different sort of hellmouth with different regenerative properties. I just... <sighs> I'm a little over how self-cannibalizing this show has become. And part of what I enjoyed so much about the first episode was like, this is, feels different. Like, even the credits are very yes. different from what we've come to expect. And that's exciting to me. I would like something different, you know. One of my favorite ep or seasons, not a popular opinion, is Cult. Uh, because it's very different. Like and it stands on its own. Uh, I would like to see something like that. And if he wants to keep returning to the same freaking well, I would prefer that he did it like every other season instead mm -hmm. of back to back to back. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Like I, I would love to imagine that it's a twist I'm not going to get ahead of because it's something out of left field, sort of like Roanoke was the first time, you know, Yep. we didn't, that, that was not something the show had done yet. So it felt very left field. And I would like that to happen again. Uh, I would love if this is a straight up time travel horror. Like that would be amazing. A time travel slasher horror. Yes. 
give me that. Um, well, another thing, <laughs> clearly I've gone down that yeah. rabbit hole and have not emerged. But uh, <laughs> another theory that I was reading about is that the time travel element could be the counselors from 84 having to go back and save the people who died mm-hmm. in 70. Mm-hmm. So they're, mm-hmm. they can put that in at some point. I could be into that. I just don't want it to be the same thing again. Yeah. It's basically my one concern here. And, and I like uh, when I like the grounded earthiness of a slasher. Obviously, it's not going to stay grounded. We already know that. But when you, when you all of a sudden tie it into Apocalypse and Coven and Hotel, it loses all sense of that. It becomes, it's not a slasher at all anymore, right? It's something else entirely. It is such a mind-boggling experience to be American, an American horror story fan. Because yeah. not only is the show fucked me over time and time again, <laughs> where it's like, why do I keep coming right, back for right. this madness? But I am also of the, my favorite season is still Murder House. I mm-hmm. long for the days when this series was truly scary. It's Same. like when you compare the cold open to 1984 to the cold open with Murder House, I think... Even though I think the cold open in 84 worked, Murder Houses is on, like, another level. That totally. is why the show jump-started as an instant phenomenon. So I want it to get scary again, and I miss all of that. But then the second I dive into the AHS community and I oh, yeah. see everybody get all crazy coming up with theories and talking about things, I just – I. Like jump feet first into that, and I have so much fun with it that I'm also really invested in that side of American Horror Story. The mm. craziness that they've come up with, this like epic web of all of these weird, you know, I don't know, like horror genre things coming together in all these bizarre, twisted ways. I buy into it so much that even though I want like simple, pure murder house all over again, I'm also still loving the other side of it. Yeah, I'm. Not, obviously, but I'm happy for you guys, and I I know that that's a big, passionate part of the fandom, so if that's the future of the show, then I'm happy for the people who enjoy that Mm -hmm. element of it. I am not one of them, so I can't get too into it personally. It's like... I just, I don't, how many times can you tell me the same story and expect me to care? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I know I definitely understand that. And it's funny, like when we first saw the trailers, I was like, man, I don't know about this whole like 84 slasher thing. I'm Mm kind of burnt on 80s nostalgia. I think I even said that in one of our episodes. Like I love slasher movies, but boy, have we had a lot of 80s nostalgia over Mm -hmm. the last five years. And it's funny that now that I'm watching it, I'm like, please stay 80s nostalgia. Like, stick to this thing, because I think it's going very well. I really enjoyed the first episode, and uh, I I enjoyed the second one as well. I just, I'm worried. (laughs) I'm nervous. I am nervous. And it's like you say, why do we do this? Because it does it every year. Yeah. It does it every year. You're like, yeah, these first three episodes rule. What just happened? So do you have a character you are most excited to follow at this point and least excited to follow? Yeah, I can't remember their names yet. um, because I think my most right now is probably Lou Taylor Pucci as Jonas the Hiker, just because I think that is one of the most curious plot points that they've introduced. I can't really put a finger on what his involvement is going to be and what it means for all the theories, because I think that in most of the theories that I've read and I've been semi-sold on, he is always 
always the one that doesn't quite fit into it. And I'm also just really excited for him as an actor. I think Lou Taylor Pucci is one of the most undervalued horror stars out there. So I'm just excited to see him in a, in a show like this and having a role that seems to be putting his skill set to very good use right now. And I hope we see a lot more of him. Yeah, he's very intriguing. He's the wild card, I guess, at the moment. Yeah. I really I like what's happening with Cody Fern's character. I like Cody Fern quite I, a bit. I do, too. I'm... He's just he's and it might just be because he's a really good actor, but he's the most compelling to me right now, as mm-hmm. well as Billy Lord's character. They both really stand out. Um, they're intriguing. I, I think like the ones that obviously have something weird going on are a little less interesting to me, like Leslie Grossman's character is obviously up to something. So that's less appealing. To yeah, me. yeah. I mean, that's another thing widely discussed at this point yeah. that, you know, Jingles isn't the real killer. She right. killed all the campers back in the 70s and then framed him. And this is more of a revenge mission for him coming back to get her for what he did, for her, what she did to him. Her energy is certainly not yeah. good. <laughs> no, no. Something's up with that lady. And I would totally buy that theory. How do you feel about them adding uh, Ramirez to the Ooh, cast because I am I am choice. mighty torn on yeah. that. Well, this show has a history of exploiting uh, actual tragedy for entertainment value, mm-hmm. so I'm not and this shocked is not by it. Richard Ramirez's only appearance in right. American Horror Story, either. I just uh, I think that who's playing him? Zach Villa. I think he's doing a great I th- job. Yeah, he is quite good. Uh, and his performance has me intrigued more than the real life dynamic of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's that's just something that they're going to do on this show. You know, like we've we've all talked to death the the scene at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But frankly, American Horror Story did it worse and crasser two years before. So like, I just what the show is going to do, and you, mm-hmm. I, I don't find the purpose in being like upset about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Where are you I, at on that? I mean, it, it it goes back to my theorizing right now. Yeah. It's like I was, I don't know. Some, something definitely doesn't feel right about it. But yeah. it could also be a not feeling right because if it is a movie that we're watching and this is an actor playing that real-life serial killer, I think that's maybe a way that you could work around it. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's not sitting right with me. And I just had a conversation recently about other, you know, real-life serial killers that they could include. And the only thing that came to mind was the Golden State Killer, who Mm -hmm. is actually known as the original Night Stalker. And, you know, that dynamic between the original Night Stalker and the Night Stalker could maybe be interesting to explore. But Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily trust American Horror Story and the typical tone they go for to do that in the best possible (laughs) manner. So I think I want to stay as far away from that as possible. But I do think he's doing a great job with what he has so far. And I think Leslie Grossman is great in that role. Their scene together was freaking weird, but also super intense. So much more interested in Richard Ramirez than I thought I'd ever be. Like, not, not that he's not an interesting historical figure. But just like his portrayal of that character, I, I'm like, well, actually, I would, I would like to spend more scenes with this guy, and that's yeah. not something I'd think I'd say. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about like the same thing right now, and I'm also <laughs> just curious to see because they're definitely setting it up. I mean, at this point, in case someone has watched season three, they'll be like, well, duh, it was like this. But the way that season, uh, the way that uh, episode two ends with the two groups being split up and mm-hmm. having two potential killers banging on the door, it's like that to me is teeing up Ramirez versus Jingles in some sense. Mm-hmm. So if this is more so a season about 
different types of slashers coming together, maybe even with Margaret, Leslie Grossman's character, in the mix, and it's like they have an all-out brawl in some sense. I kind of like that idea, too. That's of interest to me, too, and you just kind of touched on something that, like, I was thinking when I was revisiting these last night. Um, I would like to see this be more of a reflection of the slasher genre than of American Horror Story itself. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, Because something I was noticing is that most of the characters have an origin story that would make them a suspect to be the killer. Like, they all have weird shit that happened to them. And I would be much more interested in being like, what if this what if this campground is full of slasher killers? Okay. Something like that. That's not how I think it's going to happen, but that's more interesting to me to play with the tropes of the existing genre than the tropes of American Horror Story as a series. All right. No, I can see that because one of my other things, I think right now one of my favorites to keep an eye on is Billy Lord as Montana, just because I really really like Billy Lord. I think that when I first was introduced introduced to her through uh, American Horror Story and also Scream Queens, I don't know. I just assumed she was capable of one thing and one thing alone. But I think between what she's done in the past, what she did last season with Apocalypse, and now what she's doing with Montana here, I don't know. There's, you know, that scene where where they're sitting in the bunk together and they're talking and they're having a little bit of a heart to heart. There's there's just such warmth from her that mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, you're you're adding a whole nother you know tool to your toolkit as an actor that I. Didn't didn't realize you had to that extent and I'm excited to see what she does but I feel like the fact that the show is making us have certain assumptions about Montana that are in stark contrast to certain assumptions the show wants us to have with Brooke yeah there's going to be you know a flip-flop turning those expectations on their heads in some respect and I'm eager I'm more eager to see who Montana turns out to be because I feel like Brooke is oh she's the typical final girl the virgin and and we're just going to go the complete opposite with her but I don't really know where Montana's going to land yeah see Brooke's Brooke's backstory is also a total you might be the killer story like She's obviously crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas Brooke could easily be the final girl who's supposed to be the slut that dies first. And I don't know. I'm into I'm into more examining that side of things, subverting those tropes. I'm into all the questions we have yeah, right now. I, yeah. I'm having I'm really having a great time. With Will this we right be now. into the answers? See, TBD. That's the thing. It's yeah. like the other day someone asked me, "Well, like, like, do you like it so far?" Like that. That question feels so pointless yeah. for a show like American Horror Story. We've been burnt. Where we are right now is undoubtedly, no matter what happened in past seasons, yeah. it's going to be drastically different probably in four episodes. So I, I don't know. But right now I am very much enjoying myself. Same. All right. This was like a supersized episode of it The Witching was. Hour. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it all. That was a lot to cover. Uh, Haley, a quick outro here then. <laughs> Where yeah. can everyone find your work? Especially all of your Fantastic Fest coverage. Oh, well, you can find all that on Collider.com. You can find me on Twitter at Haley Fouch, where I never tweet. And you can find me on Instagram <laughs> oh, no. at Haystack McGroovy. Well, I just, like, last time we did the podcast, I was like, I promise I'll try to tweet out a Fantastic Fest. And then I did You Instagrammed a bit. I did a couple stories. All right. Yeah, I so enjoy- follow, I follow it. my Instagram, Haystack McGroovy. I do stories. They disappear in 24 hours. It's great. <laughs> All right, guys. You can find me on Twitter, where I am now officially Perry Nemiratu, and uh, at P. Nemiroff, and on Instagram, same handle as okay. well. Give me, give me a horror. Name oh, and yeah, maybe I'll please, tweet. Please, please. <laughs> um, clearly, we crashed and burned it. I, I, yeah. I think like HaleyFear.com is Haleyfear.com. May, maybe a thing. Uh, I don't know. You guys Haley. can chime we'll in and get more out. creative than I did. Uh, 
That's it, though. We gotta go. You have officially survived the witching hour. Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. Stay little Chico, Pit Bull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 